What is going on, everybody? You are listening to the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you for joining me. World Cup. There it is. There it was. I, I feel like I've been wanting to go to a World Cup for so long, and it was insane. I mean, just the preparation, the, the amazing practice that we had uh, where X Factor graciously hosted ourselves along with Dynasty. And honestly, we, I, I don't think we could have had a, a more productive practice. But um, it was, and then going into Cup and everything, it was just, it was such a surreal experience again, you know, not going to one for, uh, you know, four years or so. And then coming into one, which so far, what I've heard has been the biggest as, you know, I think to date has been the biggest World Cup, uh, which is amazing to see. Because the parking lot itself was just a giant nightmare of people trying to get in and out. And But it was amazing. I mean, the, the, the people that were there, to see all the vendors, to see all the people paint, playing paintball, and um, just this kind of inrush of attention towards the game has really really helped it reignite you know my passion for the sport and uh to to want to give back and everything and uh on this episode we're going back and uh quinn and i we we talk about world cup we talk about you know h2k and the tank tool and kind of projects in the future where you know we talk about um really everything in between we have uh we have some good dialogue back and forth so uh I like I like Quinn. He has a lot of good insight, but yeah. But thank you guys again, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, enough of my chitter chatter. Here is uh, here's a little World Cup debrief with Quinn and I. Enjoy. So is that the finished painting that uh, Clinton did for you? So is that you? This is a mask I wear, like a profile I wear pretty often. I did, did it. it. This is like a team that we play, like our drunk beer league team that we like. <laughs> we used to be like really serious about it, and then um, and then now it's kind of more like we play like big fucking scenario events like Ion and stuff with them. Yeah, it looks sweet, man. It does such good work. It's so cool to have things like that too, like. You know, we were talking about those uh, those other paintings that he did for H2K, and it's just, it's cool to have that, like, physical artwork and that the handmade stuff coming back into play. Yeah, especially him. He does, it's really good. Like, I feel like I sometimes saw, like, digital stuff, and it was okay, or from other kind of just random people, and then I saw his hand-drawn stuff, and I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I... Once I saw it, I was I fell in love, and I wanted to do that project, and uh, it's been great. Now I just gotta bring it to fruition. Oh, sure. Dude, I, I steal the Oliver one from you. It was it's really good. Um, can't wait to bring it out. But dude, I feel like we've been talking so much like business late, and just business creation, all this stuff, and it's nice to kind of like calm down, decompress a little bit. And uh, and just talk some paintball. I mean, we we do that generally anyway. Yeah. But it's uh, it's good to kind of go back to square one a little bit. It's high pressure talking like th- about stuff like this. Is it though? I don't think it is for you. Yeah, not really. I guess uh, 
once I get on a roll, I'm good to go. I never know where to jump in because I'm like my mind is constantly thinking of six thousand things with paintball. So, you know, you, you always have something to complain about. You'll yeah, find, for sure. You'll I, gotta find care- I gotta be careful that I can't make people too upset. <laughs> well, that's isn't that your job as a journalist? Like well, half your job? People off? Yeah, I guess. Because you I have. I think it's more just tell truthful things, whether they're awful or not. Well, it's not necessarily maybe that's awful, but maybe you're, um, you know. A different perspective and then the candy coating that most people probably try and put on things yeah that's one thing i've never been a fan of in paintball is just every single person when they talk about anybody it's always you know the best player this or the greatest that i'm like we just need to accept that not everybody is a good player in pro sometimes that's true and be um, honest about it. yeah i mean you know every, that's what's weird about paintball right is you have these elite athletes who are on all these like really not like think of Houston Heat or any of these teams who take it very very serious pay the guys all the you know the whole thing and then you have guys on on other teams that are just kind of like very weekend warrior-ish ah for sure yeah I mean there's uh I mean there's some pro teams they pretty much just like practice the layouts and that's it and they don't put much other time in and then you have a guy like Tyler Harmon, who literally like every day of the week is doing something paintball specific. So how do you compete with that? I don't know. I think we're in a transitory period. I think over the next few years, we're just going to see kind of slowly more money come in for athletes. And, you know, right now you have your few guys that are getting paid well. And I think slowly over, over the next, like maybe half decade, that's going to become a more and more common thing to where you're incentivized to actually do something every day. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, we're like 1930s NFL right now and we just need to like turn the corner of wearing leather helmets and, you know, working down at like the beer factory <laughs> into like being full on Athens. That's very Pittsburgh Steeler of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the guys on the steel, the steel mills just coming out of the woodwork and playing football on Sundays. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I feel the same way and it's tough. Because me being competitive, and uh, I would some my somewhat call myself an athlete, you know, I want to be able to do that and be able to compete with those highest guys. But you know, not getting that field time like they do, it, it just makes it real tough. And you know, everybody can say it until the cows come home. This you got to be obsessed. You got to this, but it's like, it's like you got to get in, into that game like at a young age and almost to get lucky to a point where you can be on a team that's that dedicated and the other yeah. players are that dedicated where they can actually put the time in and the whole team has that mindset but i mean just like the, the I mean, boys I, in blue i, I like, do think it's really t-shirt. variable though you know what i mean because mm-hmm. like i actually was just talking to my wife about this the other day is it's funny like how athleticism works not just in paintball but kind of every sport I mean, like, the example I always like to look at is, like, you've got a guy like Tom Brady versus, like, Ben Roethlisberger. So, you know, on the general arc of career success, like, they both were incredibly successful at the same exact position. Tom Brady clearly, like, dedicated every second of his life to doing that. And then Ben Roethlisberger's on the complete other side of the spectrum where, like, he probably rarely worked out, didn't eat properly, but he was just an incredible athlete at what he did. So it just worked out for him. So I got... I get what you're saying, but I do think I, there's definitely people that have to work harder and there's people that can work a lot less hard and be, you know, almost at that same playing field just naturally. So, yeah. Isn't that the whole, what, 
I mean, I don't know if you would know, but with Tom Brady and the, his whole like divorce, isn't it because he said he was like going to retire or something, and they decided to start playing football? <laughs> like well, again. he like did, and then he just like turned up. What like six weeks before the season started, and he's I'm playing. I mean, but I kind of get that. I mean, you know, he's what like forty five years old. Eventually, his wife has to just be like, I'm just like sick of this. Like, <laughs> you're old, just accept it. You're gone all the time, but I mean, brings in so much money, it's crazy. Well, anyway, so let uh, let's talk about some uh, some paintball news. Some you know, I definitely want to talk about World Cup. I remember. Going there and just getting into the parking lot was usually kind of sucky, but this World Cup in particular was like a nightmare, dude. They had posts of like telling people that the parking lot is full, and I don't remember, I mean, I don't remember ever it being like that. I mean, it was statistically the largest paintball event just ever, period. I mean, it was absurd how many teams and people they brought in. I mean, obviously, they've been aggressively kind of expanding the divisions here over the last year or two, and this year had the most divisions across the board. I mean, you're talking about something that had, like, more than just, like, just over 4,000 players, and it was something like, what was it, I think, like, 487 teams or something, like, almost 500 teams. And one event is absurd because, I mean, I can remember, like, when I was younger, I, it always felt like there was like really, really big kind of standalone events. Like, and now you see this, and it's just absurd. Just I don't know how they can continue to do it this big. Like it's. I mean, I don't know if they're gonna have to move venues. I mean, it's it's just massive. And I heard there was like a seven man payout of like twelve thousand dollars for uh, open seven man. I don't I don't know what ten man was, but it was. Yeah, I mean across the board there were just paintball being played everywhere yeah and i mean that's a big thing i kind of always like to talk about like people love to hammer the nxl about everything from you know basically anything you can think of they some people latch on that's why we lost or it sucks because of this i mean they always neglect to mention the fact of like hey this is the largest outdoor sporting event just period among all outdoor sports like not just paintball specifically like it takes a lot to make these events go on and work and they do a really good job at, you know, I mean, even like this through a, like a hurricane, they still made this whole event work. Yeah. They somehow rescheduled it after missing a day of this ridiculous scale event. And, you know, essentially everyone was made, you know, happy with that. Everyone got to play their whole event and it was still a wild end of the season. And I think a lot of people latch on to these really minor negative things because it can give justification on why they didn't do well or something. Yeah. Well, it's like um, low hanging fruit, right? The... Yeah, because you know it's easy. Like when, you, when you, if you decide to use the NXL as your punch bag, there's no one's gonna fight back at you on it. Like you know, there's not some guy sitting at the NXL headquarters answering complaints on Facebook to. That's know. Tom. Tom is doing that. Yeah, for uh, for sure. But I'm saying like they're not. That's not what they do. They put events on. They don't fight with you know, 24 year olds online about why they think the event was unfair to them. So yeah. Um, people need to, I think sometimes in paintball, people need to step back because people do also like to talk about like, Oh, the glory days, whatever. I mean, I was there for a lot of it for the, through the two thousands. And it's like, there were some pretty awful events back then, like in terms of scale and even just the shit you had to go through to get there. And, mm -hmm. um, I think players are 
forget that they're, you know, a little spoiled anymore in these days because the NXI events, you know, they're in generally nice cities. They're in generally good times of year. And, you know, you get a well put together event. Yeah, it was it was very nostalgic, actually, kind of uh, when we were done playing on Saturday and lost both of our games, unfortunately. But um, I went over to the Infamous booth because we were doing the, the H2K tank tool over there, and which we'll get into later on. But, um, you know, I was kind of sitting back and just people watching, and it was just a, a mass, a, fl a flow of just people and energy and excitement for for paintball again and that's i mean i know not every single event was like that but i remember when events not just world cup but a lot of events throughout the year there was a good flow of people staying at the venue and just kind of uh hanging out and going to the booths and and uh you know having as many vendors there as there were at world cup <clears throat> um but it was just—it yeah. was a cool feeling again, like that, to have that kind of that much energy contained and not people just leaving because it's miserable. I mean, it helps that the weather was great, but yeah. besides the hurricane, but um, it was just really cool to have that feeling of of people all congregating there for uh, paintball and sticking around to watch games. Yeah, man. I think honestly, a lot of that is like this kind of renaissance in the the kind of tech and gear side of everything. I mean, people like to underestimate how long it takes to recover from like these economy-ending recessions, like we had in '08, and like paintball companies, especially. I mean, it was like well into the late 2010s before a lot of them got financially healthy again, and now we're kind of over the last year or so, two years, we've seen you know, them kind of bringing more new stuff out, spending more time in R&D, not just doing, you know, the same gun every year type releases and, you know, making legitimate changes every time. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see that. We're starting to see a lot of these player-owned kind of companies emerge and make things exciting. And, of course, like Oliver and Alex did the crazy Hormesis booth, which was, you know, that was – how that was done was certainly like that early 2000s type way booths were done where they were just more focused on being wild crazy and experience driven than like hey here's something we're selling it yeah. and even seeing like eclipse like they so rarely have a sales setup at events like for them they're always straightforward it's technical services only that's it mm. and for them to do like an anodizer of the year contest at world cup and have you know lv2s and cs3s there for sale and all this cool stuff coming out uh i think there's just a lot of renaissance and we're entering like another great era of good gear which is super cool to see yeah you know and speaking of that because i have a few of those things uh written down um wrote down it's late uh but uh yeah you know speaking of hormesis that the way they did the booth to where it's like there's one small entrance and exit there's a line constantly outside it's mysterious it smells like incense and and jungle person like inside of there and it's just it was intriguing it was really cool to see just like um this desire to of the unknown but i mean i can't imagine how much they sold you know in not only in like clothing but headbands and it's in the way they go about it is great because it's like all about the players you know it's giving yeah. back it's about the players uh and it's it's just a feel-good vibe and then yeah it was good seeing planet having all that stuff out and, and being, I was talking to Jacko and he was like, yeah, this is the first time we had a booth like this in a couple years, 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think since 2019 at least. It's been a, I mean, yeah, I don't, it's, I feel like it's been longer than that. I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen like an Eclipse sales booth, like of that scale at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't know. The Hormesis thing certainly was cool, especially cause like they didn't advertise it or anything. Like it was just world cup open and it was just there. And it was like, you know, that's so odd in this, in this day where people want to market and advertise every little tiny thing. It's just weird that they have this insane booth set up and it's just like, Oh, we're just here. Come check us out. Yeah, it's very much like old, like 2005 type 2004 World Cup, where it's just like you'd go there and there's like 10 companies you never heard of selling something. Mm -hmm. Who in back then? Who was your favorite like um, accessory vendor? Like, was it CP? Was it? Uh, um, I was always a big CP killer? guy for sure. Like, I loved their barrel kits, and I still use one like fairly frequently till now. It's starting to really wear down inside, so I'm gonna have to get it reanodized. <laughs> Um, but you know, they were cool. Like going back even further, like extreme rage was kind of that first, yeah. like to me, there was a lot of, obviously like the early companies in payball were very player driven player owned companies, but extreme rage always felt like that first one where it was just like Todd Amson was just like a normal everyday type player, like anyone else you'd meet in a field. And he like started at this company with a cool concept of making, you know, our packs just work well and they were innovative at the time for what they did. And, mm -hmm. you know, he rapidly expanded that. And I was always a fan of that company as well. Yeah. I, I've been meaning to talk to Todd about that to really see how it came to fruition because, uh, you know, you think about the evolution of the game and it really came from like these giant weird packs that like wouldn't hold, but those little tubes, those little, you know, 10 pack tubes or whatever. Yeah. And then, evolving to the full pod and then the and then the hoppers get bigger and then the you know, electronics thrown in and you don't really you know i don't know how many how many people know like the history of all the gear and how it evolved to where it is now even the, you know one of the biggest things that i thought was uh one of the most innovative products that has made a definite impact that i don't think a lot of people think about is the speed feed I remember when oh, the speed huge. feed came out. I don't. I don't know if it came out on the Halo or if it came out on the Velocity first. Uh, it was uh, so it was kind of a thing that like some people homemade them prior to that because I think like the basically like the prototype kind of thing you had leading that would have been like because it was like the, the fingers. Uh, well, the JT had their like it was really like a speed loader attachment you could put on top of a Revy speed power. Yeah, and it used a very specific type of pod that would basically like very quickly like unload your paint into it. Yeah. But the problem was is like, you know, if you're carrying eight or ten pods out, you're gonna lose a bunch, and then you have to buy these specific JT collar ones. Mm -hmm. um, and then it kind of died, and then you started having people have just like the little plastic fingers. People would like cut up milk jugs and kind of like, you know, rig them onto their loader lids. And then really like the first one I can remember, I feel like was just like, I don't know. I feel like I've really started seeing them on the Halo Bs and then the Velocities had them. And then from there, people started figuring out you could get like a garbage disposal cover and it perfectly fit on a Halo if you took the lid off. Really? And then you basically had like your own DIY fingers for like three bucks out of Lowe's. Because <laughs> um, I remember like that was my first speed feed I used. It was really just a garbage disposal cover just right on and you had like four kind of fingers that just perfectly held your paint in. Mm -hmm. um, but even like speed feed, the tech of that is always like kind of funny to me because back then it was like you were happy if like half your pod got in because like they just did not work well. Yeah. 
And then you were even luckier if that half didn't like dump out when you dove somewhere. And then now this stuff, I mean, you literally can load a pod in like a quarter second and not a single ball falls out. Yeah. It's the advancement is insane, but you know, I'm not really, I'm still like, not that I'm not sold on it, but I still, I feel like I can still play like normally and just pop a lid and throw a pod in. I know it's like half a second more because I got to pop it and then load, close, but everybody's like doing this. But I, you know, I guess it's it comes tough. down to play style though, right? Yeah, like I was on team lid for like a long time. Like I did not want to put, uh, like I used, I had used Halo Bs from like basically when they came out until the Velocity came out. And then I was like team lid with the Velocity forever. Um, but once you start using a speed feed, it's just like it's so hard to go back because like even now they're so good. They're just, you know, they do the same exact job as the lid does. And then you just remove that extra action. So yeah, I don't know. It's like you know, it's kind of what made gear less fun in a sense because like in the two thousands, there was so much stuff that worked so badly. Like, um, <laughs> people, I mean, people really uh, kind of take for granted how good gear works as well now. Like, I can remember like having a backup gun now is more of just like kind of like a, a vanity ego thing i feel like back then it was like you had to because it was like a very high chance your gun was going to break during an event mm -hmm. in a basically either a unrepairable way or a not easily repairable way um so you're like i need a gun that i can like swap out immediately and i mean you think we need a 10-man team you'd have like 20 25 guns in an event just to make sure you could get through it um but I don't know, but that one was so fun. Like when you're talking about speed feeds, like they used to not work well, but that made it fun because then there's like six different companies that made their different styles mm -hmm. and you could kind of play and tinker around with what you liked. And like every aspect of your out, like your gear outfit was like that, where it was like you did it with your gun. You know, we were just talking about like how you, we, we used to modify our masks, like cut them up specific ways to mm -hmm. try to not get caught. Um, There's just a lot more kind of fun in like how gear was back then and i really feel like we're kind of getting back to that now where there's a little bit more like tinkering and uh you know interesting kind of aftermarket stuff slowly coming out again yeah well even speaking of that like i don't but, but i mean in one area i think it's not going to happen is um how markers used to be you know you used to be able to put an aftermarket reg bolt um grips like anything like that but now everything is all built specific like mm -hmm. comes with it it's internal it's it's molded on it's this it's that and it's really i mean not that that's bad because you know all the guns that are high end now are just like fucking race cars right yeah. you don't need to do any you don't need to do anything to them um but that was also a fun part too because you got the you got to tinker a little bit more you got to kind of have a little more freedom with your expressiveness um, of, of of certain companies that you liked, of certain products that you liked. Yeah. But it's just, you know, now it's kind of all-inclusive. But, um, I mean, there's pros, you know pros I mean? and cons, it, it, right? Yeah, I mean, it gave everyone their flavor, too. I mean, I think, honestly, like, the main reason we saw that in markers uh, was just for the fact of serviceability for, you know, say, like, an Eclipse, for instance. It's much easier if they're at an event and a player comes up with a CS2 and it's all their parts. It's a straight up, you know, they know exactly what to do right away mm -hmm. versus 10 years ago where they'd come up with like, you know, an 08 Ego and have like a, you know, a CP reg and then like a red ASA and a different bolt in it and, you know, like a rammer that some guy made in his garage that he sold 50 of. And different like, board. It's so hard to, yeah, it's so hard to diagnose something like that quickly. 
Uh, but again, we kind of lose the the fun of it, which uh, it kind of sticks too, because like if you look at like say like the car world, for instance, it's not weird to like own, drive, and like build, tinker with like a '70s or '80s car. But I feel like in paintball, you get like almost like looked down on. Now, if you show up to the field, you're like rocking a like a 20 or a 15 year old gun. Like I wish there was more of like a vibrant lifeblood around like basically like hot rod guns these days. But I mean, the ramping limits kind of kill that a bit as well because like mm-hmm. if i'm just gonna go shoot 10 i don't really give a shit what i'm shooting like to me it's all the same i don't think there's one gun where i'm like it has to be this or this like back when you could just do any mode anything you wanted to do i was like very specific with what i wanted but now it's like i just don't care do you think it's ever going to change from that as far as the the shooting goes like the ramping or uh i don't know i think it's hard when something's gone this long i think it's hard like Back in the 2000s, it was like the sport and the leagues were so fluid because it was like every other year, it was like some new league came out or like they wanted to try this or they were changing this for television. But I mean, this stretch we've had with, you know, 10.2 in the NXL, like this is basically the longest paintball has went with one single unified mode. So I think it's going to be really hard to get away from that. I would love to just see somebody just come back with, I don't even say like, oh, it has to be uncapped semi or something, but just like something interesting. Like I think 10 man kind of makes that fun because there's a little bit of that in there. Mm. I mean, we were just kind of talking about that the other day, just on a phone call of like, you have some guys that will show up and they're like ripping a CS2, like 15 balls a second. And then there's another guy that's shooting like, you know, a cocker and he can barely get like three balls a second out of it. But it's just like, you know, the, the dichotomy of the types of players and that, and it kind of brings that back a little bit. So <clears throat> is the ramping 10.2? I think like officially it's 10.3 or like 10.2. It's like a specific down to the second digit number, but like 10.2 is just like the default. Oh. Kind of. I've been shooting 10.5. It's like it's like so <laughs> close. I mean, it's like what it's like someone's out there anyway. It's like a, what are we gonna bring back like the robot and you know check your <laughs> the radar voice. guy. Yeah, and you know none of those those chronos like I I every single one gives you like a different rate, so I don't think those are very dead on. Okay, so t- if Tom Cole is listening or anybody in the NXL, I do have a complaint since you brought up the whole chrono thing. Will you please add another chrono? Or something in the pits. There's only one per side to shoot in, and then also you're shooting in a hole about this big, like to chrono in, and then there all the rest is like canvas around it. Like, well, you shoot the canvas, Carl. Easy. That's what I do. Just I guess there's that's close one your eyes and have a good time. You pull the trigger on the on the chrono, and then then on the marker too, and you're See, just like. So I thought about that too, but then when you start thinking like the numbers of it, you realize like now I get why they do it. So think like a normal NXL setup at like say World Cup, there's like twelve fields set up. Mm-hmm. Every single one will have two chronos just stationary on each field. Naturally, out of those twenty four or whatever ends up being like. Every day, 10 of them are going to get broken by some idiot player that either shoots the screen out because he's not looking at where his barrel is or they think they know how to work it. They like take the battery door off thinking they're going to reset it and they just fuck everything up. And then on top of that, every single field, there's at least two refs on the field with chronos. Now you're talking there's like 50 active chronos at any point and half of them are going to get broken at all times. So, I'm, you know, you're thinking like they could take... 
probably fucking 200 chronos to World Cup, and they're still going to run out and have a pit that has a broken one. You know what I mean? It's just it's true. the volume of what they actually need at an event is absurd. I guess Virtue's kind of taken over that world, too. You don't really see anybody else's chrono anywhere, ever, if even anybody makes one. Theirs is just so good. Like, I mean, when it was, like, in, you know, 20 years ago, there was a couple kind of variants that were, like, somewhat accurate, but they all had, like, their downsides. Like, I don't think you can build a better Krona than what they built. Like, if you started from the ground up again with, you know, a $100,000 R&D budget, I don't think you're beating it. It's perfect. It's comfortable to hold. It's small. It does, you know, BPS, average, everything. It has a nice, you know, bright screen. It's just a perfect item. It would be nice if you didn't have to pull the trigger to Krona. Yeah, that'd be nice. But then, you know, you're talking battery life in. Like, how do you keep, you know, how does it know when and when not to be active? You put a button... On the top of the chrono, and you set your barrel on the button, and then you shoot. Carl, I can barely ever get my barrel to the right spot, so that ain't gonna work. Then you're gonna have people in the pits complaining to Tom that I can't get your chrono to work. I can't get the button to work. I'm just the dude. I'm just the idea guy. Okay. Not for sure. I feel it. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Other than that, like we're jumping into gear. Like you got to see all the new stuff coming out. We had like the die die. Came out with a new gun, the DLS. You had yeah. the CS3 drop. I mean, we recently had the LV2. Bunch of loaders getting announced. I mean, there's a lot of... This was for a World Cup year. Like, I mean, basically every year for the last decade, I do some form of like a live thread update on gear, whether it's like PVDation, my site, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think like this year was probably the biggest release year in a while. I mean, to have four new guns hit the market was big and then four more loaders on top of that and all the little stuff that came out like tank tool new hormesis stuff yeah it's like a reviewer's wet dream yeah i know it's but where do you even start at this point it's hard to get the stuff i know true i would probably start at tank tool i mean that's where i would say it's the easiest review because you can just say it works it works. It's great. I mean, you know, you and I have been talking about this for a long time, and we finally had all the resources put together to bring it out, bring it to the world. And it, it's, I mean, you, you, you think of these things, and you, you try and conceptualize them and, you know, go back and forth with all these different revisions and everything. And then, you, you know, you don't really know. Um, really how the public is going to take it or the players are going to take it. But like right when we started talking about it, kind of leaking a little bit and the reactions that we were getting on it. And then when we actually came out with the final version and, and started seeing people use it and react to it. And uh, it's it's been really cool. I mean, it was to have it also go and sell out at the Infamous booth is awesome. To have so many people, you know, jump in right away on the release was awesome. And the continual flow that we've had uh, not only with the individual going on the site and actually buying one, but also you know the retailers coming out and uh, you know saying they want to snag them up, and and we're sending out more to some more uh, reviewers and retailers and having them check them out. It's just it's a cool, exciting time for you know for H2K and and for the future projects that we have, and uh, you know I, I just think it's cool that we we've been able to kind of bring this thing to light. Yeah, it's just uh, every time I think about it, it's just funny because I still think back to like. The first conversation we had literally like a year ago at this point, and like I, I even, I'm pretty sure I've like probably said it to you because I'm normally pretty brash for just right away. I'm like, it's so dumb. Why didn't I think of it? Because like I, I think I even said it to you too. It's like 
the ideas that are so simple, like after the fact, when you look back on it, you're like, what the fuck? I could have easily thought of that, but you know, magically no one really did or came out with anything like it. Um, and that's why I just felt like it was going to be something that worked. I mean, we went through like dozens of 3D printed iterations, and then we went to like machined prototypes, and you know, adding little things here and there. And yeah, I mean, got her done. I think your you know your contributions were great, and um, we were. I think we just make we make cool stuff, and you know, I'm really excited to see what we come up with next and uh, in the future of the company and. Um, I think I think everybody else is too. I think we've really with the tank tool itself. I think we've uh, grabbed some uh, tension on uh, on kind of what we can do and and what we're gonna what we're going to do. Yeah, because I mean you know it's a simple to use product and it's cheap. So it's like not it's basically like less than a case of paint and it's something that you can just use forever. Yeah, I actually had um I, I think I told you this, but I had uh, when I was leaving. I had the Delta guy at the register, register kiosk, whatever it is. He was like, "Oh, you got paintball gear, you got the tank, the air, blah blah blah." You know, went through the whole thing, and he even told me the guy just before me got his tank taken away because it didn't take the reg <laughs> off, and there was still air. And I was like, "Oh, it's the perfect scenario for uh, yeah. for what it is." So um, that's what I'm saying to you. Like, I saw Sam Silberg was using his in like an airport parking garage. I'm like, this is exactly what these were made for. So when you get to like the, Oh shit moment, like, well, I have something to do it. I don't have to smash it against the, you know, corner of this concrete pier to get my reg off. Cause it's stuck. Yeah. So if anybody is uh, listening at all, you can, you can find these tools at the moment at h2kpaintball.com and, and pick one up. And we're going to be ordering some more soon with, uh, you know, different colors and, just to put it out there too, we are working on a uh, a small. Not, I, I guess it wouldn't be a revision, but more of like a little adder uh, for the powerhouse users, the powerhouse reg users, to be able to use their burst discs out of the wrench and everything. So, I mean, we we have a lot of stuff in the mix, and um, yeah, it, that was just one of the many products that. Uh, I mean, even being at the Infamous booth is just awesome to see where that company. And Travis, how far he's really taken that thing because it's not like, you know, I remember I'm trying to think of the first product that he had that was like, like that really kind of came out because I, I remember when he first came out with a, a milled, was it a CS2? I feel like that was their first like really big one was yeah. like, I mean, they obviously had stuff prior, but I think the Skull CS2 hit, and that was one that I saw, like, a lot of people buy. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they were just, like, pumping out stuff. I think it's him. I think his engineer there is Craig, if I remember right. Like, they just started really doing, like, everything. I mean, seeing, like, what Travis did is great to me because you always hear the annoying argument in paintball where it's like, oh, it's, like, really expensive if you own a team. It's hard to stay in the league. Like, whatever. It's like, well, look what Travis does. He said, you know, fuck all that noise. Like, we're going to build this entire company behind the team. We're going to make it end up being like a profitable venture so we can have a strong team every year and last, you know, for two decades in, in professional paintball. Yeah. I mean, and unfortunately, they didn't do too well um, at Cup, and we didn't, we did the almost the exact same thing. Yeah, Just, really strangely, too. Like, very, uh, that's a confusing team to get last place at NXL World Cup. I know they have a, such a variety of really good players that um, I mean it was it's just tough to imagine that they couldn't get anything going. 
Yeah, and it's weird. Like, obviously, I watch a lot of paintball and have to kind of try to digest what's going on. And I just feel like when I watch Infamous, I'm just like, I don't know why it doesn't work. I just feel like it's always like, you know, just 5% less than what they needed to get over the hump every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, too, uh, it's a long season. And by the time you get to the end, a lot going on. Only playing three games made it tough. Um, that sucks. You know, yeah, especially when you're kind of like a, tran- a transitory team. Like, obviously, if you're at the top of the division right now, three ga- like you don't care if it's three games, one game, whatever, you're going to be okay. But mm. when you're kind of in that weird, you know, four to eight kind of range, three games is tough because, I mean, if you drop your first one, you're kind of like, oh, shit, we got to go undefeated now or we're definitely not making the weekend. Like, there was no room for error at this event whatsoever because, like, typically if you go even at two and two, you have a good shot. If you go one and two, you have no shot. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how it was. I missed Friday and then uh, the guys lost Friday against Uprising. And now I'm already going into a game and, and, you know, I don't know exactly their mindset, but mindset, my mindset was we just got to win. We got to win the next two for sure. Has to happen. Yeah. And um, ended up just dropping the ball against uh, Latin Saints and then also the same against ML Kings. You know, it's nothing against those teams at all. It's just they played, they outplayed us and we couldn't figure it out for some reason. And I've said this, I don't know if I've told you this, I'm sure I have. But the weekend before that, we played Dynasty and we played X Factor and we played good. Um, we played matches against full matches against them. We lost. We also beat them. I think we were like it was like fifty fifty, and um, it just I I felt really good coming out of that practice. Like we knew how the field was going to break down, how it was going to you know flow and move, and um, I mean that was my. You know my whole takeaway from that practice, and then when we showed up, it was like I don't know if it was because of the first game and how it went down, and there was a couple calls that really went the other way, and were I from what I understand is that they were um, they were actually told that it was a mistake, yeah. and ended up costing. I mean, it was a it was a big penalty too. I mean, I mean it was their third penalty into the match. And was just crushed. I mean, you can't. It's tough to win um, a couple points after you get a penalty, and then getting three is just—it's a nightmare. Um, so it was just—it was really tough. We were—I felt like we were playing on our heels. We were trying to dig ourselves out of a this this hole that we kind of put ourselves in. And it's at Cup when everybody's there and on their A game for the most part. It's it's tough to really kind of. Uh, to do anything. And then on top of that, everything's like double points. Like I've heard you kind of talk about before, which is a little silly, um, especially hearing the stories of like Blad, the Blast Camp story. And then also, um, what was it? Wrecking Crew and all yeah. these other teams. Like, man, like you do so well. And why I, World Cup is, yes, it's like, it's this whole other thing. It's this massive like tournament. But at the same time, it's another stop on, a, any specific season it's another stop and you don't i don't think you should be punished for not performing at cup but then the entire season you're killing it i yeah. mean it, it it makes it i don't know it just it doesn't make any sense to me and well, no, for sure it's weird i mean it's like you're 
it's it's hard to explain because there's not a lot of other comparative things in sports but it's like you're told to run a marathon and then at the end they're like uh you know that middle mile counted for more so whoever whoever crossed the line first halfway into the race like they're they're actually the top dog now like it's kind of like it's tough because like i am would be a hundred percent completely on board with double points if they just counted every single event from the season in the total because then in the averages of the year cup still does carry more weight but you know it's not going to be the event that make or breaks you like at pro it was you know pretty much business as usual there for double points because they took essentially the whole year minus one minor event but when you're talking like the lower divisions where you had three events count towards the season title in a six event season it's like okay well if one of your three you're getting a you know basically a 200 percent multiplier mm-hmm. like it's gonna throw i think that's why we saw some of these really weird final results to where like again the whole wrecking crew thing where a team that never even made the finals the whole year somehow placed higher than a team that won three events was just strange. Um, You know, and naturally, like, it's tough. You got to go there and perform, but you also – we're doing a season title award here, not a, hey, you did the best at World Cup title necessarily. That's why why we have the Cup title. So, like, we see it all the time. I mean, other than the last three years because Dynasty has been winning it, but – We've seen a ton of times in pro where the team that wins cup is not the team that wins the season title. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they have – it's not the NFL where we're all working towards this one end goal of like this is the big one. you know. Um, and, you know, I guess too, you know, season titles aren't like this super crazy thing that I think anyone has to freak out on. But you certainly kind of want that reward for doing, you know, great all year. I'm a little less outspoken in the semi-pro race just because, like, I like on paper it looked very sexy that uh, they had three wins, obviously with Blast Camp. I mean, ultimately, when you look at Notorious and PB Fit, they also both had a win. Both of them had, I think, or Notorious at least had three finals appearances. So, like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you get second three times the blast fit, you're only 12 points behind them in those in those three events. Like you only mm-hmm. have a four a four percent penalty from first to second. So uh, the semi pro one, I didn't get like as riled up on, but some of the divisional ones, you know, they were kind of weird how it ended up placing out. Yeah, I mean, but just I guess hearing that you know with blast camp winning three events, three yeah. out of, three out of four. Yeah, but and I think that is what makes it where people are kind of getting riled up because I guess they kind of looked at it like, okay, if we just look at who should be a pro team, these guys beat the you know crap out of everybody more than half of the year. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, fuck, even when they did meters event, I mean, they were beating up on yeah. legitimate pro teams, not like you know gimmies or anything. They were beating <clears throat> good teams. Yeah, I forgot about that. And I, you know, I, I think if they're gonna do double points, why not do the first event and the last event? Yeah, or just some, like, even I saw a lot of people just proposing, why not just make Cup, like, a 1.5 multiplier so it's not so dramatic? Um, you know, again, not to talk about it forever, but, like, the semi-pro race, I didn't really have a problem with the Notorious or Fifth Thing finishing head, but, like, the weird wrench in it to me comes with, like, a team like Chicago Distortion, for instance. Like, they finish ahead of Blast Camp in the season standings, and Distortion never made a finals, like, the whole season. So I'm like, it's weird that's how much the final rank is. I mean, even like distortion only placed like three places higher 
than Blaskamp did at World Cup. So it's like you're telling me a team that never made finals and placed seventh instead of tenth finished higher in the rankings than a team that won half of all the events that season. Like it's super odd. You know what I mean? Yep. That's what I'm telling you. It's true. I mean, God, uh, a team placed higher than we did for the season in semi-pro, and we played, you know, one more event than they did, and we got two. We you know, we got two fifth places. Like we made some deep Sunday runs. So it was mm-hmm. a very odd year for points totals. Yeah, it's yeah, it's goofy. I never really paid attention to points, maybe because I didn't have to, but <laughs> I've never really, never really paid attention to them. But I do watch. I feel like all- you don't care in pro. You know what I mean? Like you're you're there to win the event. Like you don't give a shit what your season point total is. Like you want to win first place. That is true. That is true. I can't lie about that one. Um, <clears throat> I do want to talk about Dynasty. Um, seeing them... See, San Diego Dynasty. See, what what was cool about seeing them win and how emotional everybody was and seeing it firsthand. I mean, I wasn't there for the win, but even just seeing them play. And I had this weird kind of like... I don't want to say like out of body experience, but it was like weird just kind of watching it and hearing it and seeing it at the end with the uh, watching it on Go Sports with the the them on stage with Oliver and just kind of throwing the champagne and the medals and the speeches on the on the field. It was like it's like I was back, you know, a, a kid again and watching this team of kids kill it and i was like i started to get emotional because it was like man they've been doing it as long as i have they have as much passion for it as i do and they're still just as effective if not more (laughs) effective than they're they they've just the the amount of years that they've been playing and winning boggles my mind and the ability and the ability to do so with different genres and and generations of players the the core itself i don't i don't know what's gonna i can't imagine what's gonna happen when yosh ryan and and uh, alex decide to step away That's because I, I i really feel like that is the 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 key of the glue and the heartbeat of that team yeah I mean, I don't know, man. It's like when I think about the whole thing of like the – I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about like the emotions of Cup with like Dynasty winning, like, you know, not to over-romanticize it. But it's just – it's a very interesting thing if you kind of look at it from the outside because when you talk about sports, I mean, something like this just hasn't happened in the <clears> sense <throat> of like we watched this guy dominate. He left the game. The game moved on without him, and then he comes back, and it was like he never left. And it's almost like we all live, especially so in this word paintball, we all live in this idea of like the good old days, like this nostalgia painted pictures. No matter how awful or great the good old days were, Mm -hmm. we all talk about it. Paintball used to be better. And like Oliver came back, and it was like, it just felt like you said, it just felt like that again. Like it wasn't about, you know, gear, sponsors the race the title race anything it was just like this was a guy that so many people that play the game right now and still hang on to the game he's the reason they fell in love with the sport and have hung on to it you know into their 20s 30s 40s it was like oliver was the guy that did that and to see him come back it just it's special because it's like it's your love of a sport just personified in a person at this point like Mm -hmm. he's almost this it's like a mythical fucking 
you know, guy legend that like, but he's there. It's a reality. It's not <laughs> some guy we're talking about from 2000 years ago. Like it's reality. It's like, it's weird because like you look at other sports <clears throat> and you always have these kind of generational divides of like, you know, in the NFL, you have guys that just to the death swear that Jim yeah. Brown's the greatest thing they've ever seen or like Michael Jordan is the most untouchable player, whatever. But you don't we never get to see those guys come back and play in the modern era. So it's always these battles of what if. But it's like this guy was talked about as the best. <clears throat> he came back <clears throat> and wins the finals MVP like he's still the guy. And that's just. Magical. I mean, I think the only time I've ever seen a story like this in all of sports other than this was like when George Foreman came back against Michael Moore at like 45 years old <laughs> and just kicked the shit out of a 25-year-old and won the world heavyweight title again. Like it's just Jeez. these magical things that are so rare. Um, and, you know, the emotions there because it just it shows people like I still th- – this is why I still do this. This is why I torture myself every weekend ask myself, what the hell am I doing at practice? Like, why am I spending money on this? Why am I taking time away from my family? It's like, yeah, that love was re-personified again. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to retire and come back to try and win a fucking tournament, but it's getting really old. And I'm like, I'm just, I feel like, like you, like Oliver (laughs) doing that, like that has to mean something to you to an extent of knowing, like, you know, there's a reason I'm still doing this. It was honestly, it was very bittersweet because, um, you know, I cannot at all compare myself to Oliver and being on a team like Dynasty. I, you know, I just can't do that um, because that was that's something that I've always wanted to do. I mean, I've won tournaments before, but nothing, you know, lately. And for him to be able to do that is awesome, and he is the player that who he is, but. You know, it's uh, it's it's tough too because you know you play guys like that and you who you've played for years and years against. You're like fuck. I mean, you've beat him before. You've gotten beat him by him a lot and by that team in blue a lot. And it's um, you know, it was just very bittersweet. It was a very mixed mixed emotions because I was like, fuck, man. You know, I wanted that to be me. I want to win that fucking event. Yeah. Um, but then also you're like, in the same time for me, it was like. Hell yeah, dude. That's you know, you can you you can come back and even if you are known as one of the best, um, if not the best, you yeah. you can still you can still do that. And it was such a weird trip on the way home because um, you know, the the flight I had a row all to myself. Um I just kind of relaxed. I took a very slow, long walk through the D- Detroit airport. It was a late flight, there was hardly anybody there. And it was just this weird kind of like coming coming to, coming back. And kind of I had a long time to kind of revisit the tournament and everything and all everything that happened while I'm slowly work, you know, walking my way back to my, you know, back to the baggage claim and to the gates and everything. And it was, you know, I have a lot to, I personally have a lot to think about. And um, there was just, there was a lot of emotions towards the dynasty win, but then also to the end of, of a season where I kind of came into halfway through and um, started off as something that had so much potential. Not that it doesn't have that anymore, but we just kind of like fell on our faces and it's just, it's hard to get over something like that to where you, you underperform so much and then see somebody come back and then win a tournament. I mean, it's not, again, it's not just fucking anybody, right? It's fucking Oliver Lang coming back to the dynasty and they win. Yeah. Um, 
so it's it was a very emotional weekend for me um, all around, if that even that whole rant even made sense. Because it was tough for yeah, me. I mean, to it it does, because I mean, it, it kind of goes along that argument of like the beautiful dreamer of just like our passions are founded within our dreams and like shit like that happening shows us like, hey, my dreams of wanting to do this in this sport or whatever it may be are valid and, you know you can kind of live that feeling vicariously, but then it also drives you to say, I want to go out. Like, I still want to do this. Like I want to go in and be that guy. And I totally get that. Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was beautifully tough. That's, um, yeah. I mean, and then speaking of level up, you know, the, um, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, our, our performance there kind of underperforming, but, um, a few things I want to talk to you about. So I heard a rumor of a, of a new possible buzzer or a new um, horn that would randomly go off like under 10 seconds. Like it would, to keep people from jumping, it would just could be a random buzzer that would happen between, you know, 10 seconds and one second. So you'd like have to be ready in case the, but have you heard anything like that? Uh, I feel like they've been like things like that have been talked about before, like whether it's that, like the shot clock idea, all that stuff. And I just always wonder like, why is my first question I have? Cause I'm, you know what I mean? Well, like, my, like this was, when I heard about it, I was like, why make anything more complicated? Why not just on the other side of the field, put a small digital game clock with a scoreboard and then another horn. Dude, like, I can barely figure out like when my horn is blown, let alone like, hey, now I got to know the fake horn too. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like just just have another horn and a little and a little clock on the other side, so the guys on the other side of the field lining up have a you know a shot at that too. So it's not just whoever's looking at the clock from that side because most of the time I'm lining up looking at where I'm going. Dude, I'm, I'm, I've always wondered, there's always a back center. Why can't they just have like a fucking digital clock that's wired to the system just on the back center bunker facing the box? So I could, you could just stand there, you can see the countdown, you know, five feet away and then just rip and go. You know what I mean? Like, I hate the thing where it's like some teams, you like, they count it at the box and then I'm like, well, what if my guy's not counting right? Like, right. he normally doesn't even divide the bill right. There's no way he's counting down, <laughs> right? And like, <laughs> it's just... There's so much chaos in it. It's like, it's so scary. And I'm like, why can't they just put like a clock like right here? You know, because otherwise if they're just going to start, if they do like a weird thing, like a fake buzzer, why not just do a thing that it like, they call 10 seconds, but then they could just start at any time in that 10 second period. Like it's not always 10. Sometimes it's like six. Sometimes it's nine. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's silly. But, but I, I mean, to add to what you were talking about, how about instead of being on the back center, just put it on the net. A, a, like like kind of how the shot clock is above the basket on the yeah on and a, a size bigger than like size eight font like where you can yeah. like see it you know yeah I mean? and then and then now you're always facing that way anyway so why not just like make it to where i don't know dude so that and then they can incorporate i always forget who came up with the idea i feel like it was on ptg or maybe it was even you like the whole idea of like basically a coach can hit a button and basically set a shot clock for his players on the field. Like basically say like, hey, if you don't do something soon, I'm going to like concede the point. Yeah. Like, that would add some serious excitement to like all of a sudden we were like, well, I, I got fucking nothing to lose anyway. They're going to concede it. I'm just going to go plow down the Dorito side and see what happens. Yeah, I think that was Tyler and, and Marcelo's idea. I had the advantage bunker thing to where you get into an advantage bunker on the field as a player and that starts a clock. 
for the other I feel team. Like, to like either... fights, fights would happen at the advantage bunker, though. Good. Like, what are you doing if you get in there and someone's in there with you? Like, it's not enough just to shoot them. Like, you're going to, like, smash into them and, like, you know, body them. Bunker bump them out. <laughs> <laughs> you remember people doing that? Yeah, just start uh, start fighting. Like, start, like, hockey fights. Like, if you both get there at the same time, you can just square up and start slugging. Dude, I had a friend of mine who came around the W or the, the wall and, like, ran into the other guy. And he literally got stabbed by the barrel down to his bones on his fingers. He had to go get stitches at the hospital. Brutal. I mean, that's why they got rid of the wall. When uh, Who is it that got their eye completely blown apart? Uh, Trevor. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why they got rid of it. It's a de- like, that's why I even saw when they did it on this layout. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. And then when I saw the Oliver collision, I'm like, oh, man, please, please tell us our golden child isn't injured. I like how they both checked on each other, too. Like, they ran into each other, and they're like, oh, are you okay? Like, they both, it looks like they both said that before they walked off. Dude, I don't like it. I wish the guys on the back line would have been lighting them up while they ran into each other. Yeah, different mindsets. Different mindsets. Moving on, let's... Um, <laughs> there's another thing that I want to kind of talk about is like the amount of cre- uh, player creators that are you know now kind of in, not just players, but also um, you know photographers and all these things that are happening of, of people who play the sport themselves who are making podcasts, uh, the videographers who are making all these clips, um, and like you have companies like Tigerware, the Spick and Span, uh, Hormesis. You have this show. You have PTG, Infamous, making all kinds of stuff. You have Project. You have Iconic. Yourself, you're a player. And yeah. You're, you know, you're having. Um, you know. I pretend to be a player. You pretend most of the time to be your player, but you, every once in a while you put a shooting video out. Hey, if it's ten man, I'm on the field. If it's anything else, it's just I don't like it anymore. So, what is your what's your take on getting rid of force fed loaders on ten uh, man mechanical tournaments and putting getting like agitated loaders only? Honestly, I think it'd be cool just for the fact that I think it would spur like another kind of arms race. Because one of the things, like, at first I was super, super against it, and then I started, like, really leaning into it. Like, when people started really coming out with the ridiculous speed guns in Mechanical, I was like, that shit's dumb, I hate it, like, this is ruining the game. Then eventually I'm like, well, I like it for the fact that, like, now there's these little weird companies making stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. Liquid makes this stuff. Like, Smoke makes their own kind of little, like, souped-up parts. Like, it's... You know, Simon's making stuff. It kind of brings back the old nostalgic kind of thing that made old paintball fun. And I think if they would do that, it would definitely kind of throw like this a new wrench into like the the gear of Ten Man because now it's like okay, people are gonna race to make like what, can we make a better loader that's you know agitated instead of force fed? Like you know, can we add this feature in? Can we make it better? Like. I think it would add an interesting thing because then you do also too. I mean, I tell you about like our strategy in 10 man all the time. Like our strategy is make a spot, sit there for like two or three minutes and just do absolutely nothing. Let the dude at the other side corner ripping his CS2 at 14 balls a second, just blow through all of his paint and then start playing the game. Like, mm-hmm. so I, to an extent, I think like the, like getting rid of force feds would limit that a little more and make it more about like the chess that it is versus the, like, like especially like the small fields, like hyperball and stuff, really, you know, turn into these kind of slow, just shoot a wall of paint fests now in ten man. Yeah. Because um, like ICC is always a great or POC what it is now. 
Uh, the, the hybrid field there's always a great example because everyone says like, oh, that field sucks. Like it's always a stalemate. And I'm like, dude, it's a stalemate because everyone just takes the back line and wants to roll their gun for 10 minutes and they're afraid to do anything. Like yeah. if you suddenly lower the paint curtain, you know, by doing something like an agitated loader instead of the force fed, it kind of opens that back up again. I mainly want to do it because I want to stop seeing people, uh, you know, finger fuck the trigger and then like try and stick both their fingers in there and then they do the whole, they fan the fucking, I don't even Dude, like, so I don't even like hard. doing this movement. It's hard because like I feel the same, but then like I'll see like Travis Lemansky standing on top of a mound on the mounds field shooting like 18 balls a second and I'm like, that fuck motherfucker's cool. Like that guy's cool. But it's only because of the loader though. It's the only reason, only yeah. reason is because of the loader. That's I it. don't know. If, to me, they should just do it. They should just. Someone needs a ten-man league where they just have everything allowed. They just do whatever the hell you want. Any loaders, any guns, any mode. Just do whatever the hell you want. Or have just revy-only tournaments. You can shoot whatever you want, but it's just it's revy fucking revies only. Dude, someone did that uh, last year, like out in the Midwest, where they did like, it was like basically like budget guns only that they limited to. So it was like people were going out with like spiders, brass eagles, like this old junk, and like. Something like that would be fun at an event to just like you just show up and do like non-traditional shit like that. Fuck, you do a budget marker now and people are going to show up with Emacs and like... They're better than the, the normal guns. <laughs> it's insane, dude. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. They, um, I, I think one thing I really hope kind of starts emerging now that we're seeing this new wave of creativity is we get like weird tournaments again. Because so much of it for years now has just been like... It's five man, ten point two, or like now there's ten man and that's it. Like I played some weird tournaments over there that were like a lot of fun. Like six man events where like you start with five guys and then like the sixth guy can come on the field after like thirty seconds, like a horn goes off, or just like even playing like three mans on like woods fields, just weird stuff was fun. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, maybe we could start even bringing that back if we're talking about like creators and stuff. Yeah, I mean, hearing that the that they had seven man at World Cup, I was like, I was super intrigued, and actually, I should have played thinking about it now. But like, seven man is such a nice little number for me. I feel like it's enough. It's enough guys to worry about, but it's not enough game time to where you get lost in the in well, the. Well, when you're thing. fast like you, it's easy to have that opinion. When you're a slow guy like me, seven man, I'm buried in the back ripping a gun. Get fast, bro. I've always been dirt slow. It's to, it's to my benefit though. Like I'm so slow, the lane already moved before I could even get to the lane. So like your I'm brain slow. is fast, but your legs are slow. My brain is slow, but my legs are fast. Yeah, like I'll run to the snake and like I'll literally like watch the lane move in front of me because the guy's like, all right, there's no way someone's still gonna go snake. It's been way too long, and the lane switches. And I'm like, I'm here. I'm giving my best. I'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> You're waving as you go by. Here, here we go. Um, but no, man, you're talking, um, I want to jump back before we get too far into it with world cup. Cause yeah. you're a die guy. Mm. What do you think of the new die gun? Do you, is it going to replace the DSR for you? Cause I know like for me personally, I think it's really, really hard to beat the DSR. There you go. Don in the die cap. This is actually a really nice hat. I'll, I'll give him that. That makes is, nice shit. Yeah. They put a, they put a lot of effort into like the littlest product to the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. I like I like this hat, but um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I haven't shot it yet. I know, uh, I think it was, uh, Sloviak was shooting one. I think, well, he's not on my team, but um, I think it was Matt was shooting, Askren was shooting one. And, I mean, I didn't hear any complaints from it. I don't know, I don't really know too much about, like, the background, like, of the company, like, Lurker. I, I don't really know too much about it. I've just... I've heard good things about it, but I don't really know the history or whatever about the company. But, um, uh, I mean, it's, I don't know the plan with it because I heard it was limited, so I don't see it, like, overtaking. Yeah, like 400 guns, I think. Yeah, I don't see it overtaking, like, the spot of, a, of an M3 or whatever. But um, Yeah, that's the thing I'm kind of confused about with it um, because, like, I heard a few different reasons why they were doing that, like, from ranging from like, oh, they're testing the market to see if there's demand for a new engine to like, oh, they're doing it limited. So the, you know, the resale market stays strong. But, you know, I think it's kind of weird because like obviously they had, you know, some level of capital injection to have to, you know, get a hold of the lurker stuff. So you got to think like they have to have some future plan past just the, you know, the 400 guns. But I don't, I don't know. know. To me, man, their best shooting marker is the DSR+. plus. To me, so good. to me, hands down. I mean, there's, you know, I've shot the the planet markers for so long and everything, and I was, you know, I was just, I was on Team Eclipse, and um, you know, going over to die, I was very, honestly, I was very, very skeptical, just because I was very biased going in. You had twenty years of one company. <laughs> That's biased. a scary job. But um, when you put something in my hands that shot like an old SFT shocker or like an old Matrix, that makes it really fun. And and then on top of that, uh, it's super accurate. Uh, it's quiet. It's soft. But it's 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 like soft, but it has a nice punch to it um, enough to where you feel it, where it's not like you. It's it's so soft where you can't feel it, but it's like a nice buttery pop. It is. Um, so it's a DM3, basically, man. And dude, just, it's, like, it's I shot great. it side by side with my uh, DM3 just because I'm like, okay, I grabbed like an Evolve Bolt Matrix and put it against the DSR. Like, how close is it? Like, it's pretty close. Like, they're both of that super buttery kind of thump shot mm -hmm. and like, or like the whoosh kind of shot. And yeah, I don't know. Um, I was a huge die guy for like years and years and years and then started to kind of get away from them. And then when we did the DSRs with H2K, I'm suddenly like, holy shit, like <laughs> I, this is my next season gun for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised at how well it shot. And I, I literally, I, I shot that and I shot the M3 and I was like, hands down, like DSR for me for sure. And, and I just took off with it. And then in this last event, I shot the single trigger electric trigger the entire time and at, at last halfway the through controversial controversial single trigger i don't even know if anybody knew it or even cared really but i thought it was i loved it i loved it when you uh executed a guy in the back of the head with it unsuspectingly <laughs> i was far away so that was um, like my move of the event though to me like that just because it was funny like most normal human beings would just hit the buzzer and call it a day and you're like no I'm going to go get this kill because I just ran down the field. And you walked around and just gave him the old one-handed single-finger trigger pull. It was, dude, you got to have fun with it. And I was like, I don't, know, I don't know why that was the first thing that came in my head. It was like, okay, I know there's a guy in the snake. After I, I, I slowly worked my way through two guys, and I knew there was a third guy in the snake, and I kind of, kind of went towards 
the uh, the the back center. And I was like, ah, I'm gonna get this guy because I, you know, he had to have been laying down because yeah, I I, you know, I didn't see his head pop, pop pop up anywhere. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go do it. And then as soon as I got there, I was like, I'm just gonna use one hand, and it just. Dude, it's that seven-man like mindset. Back then, you couldn't just, you know, hit a buzzer. Like, you had to grab that flag and run her back. So you can't have someone ripping you from the snake while you're trying to do it. Dude, no prisoners. None. Nobody's yeah. left on the field. At least that's my mindset. And on on top of that, dude, it shoots great with, with a single trigger. It shoots great. And, and one of the biggest things that I, you know, people were coming back at me with was, like, it'll be a disadvantage um, you know, that, that it will, you can't keep up with the, the BPS to kick in when you're like shooting off the break and all this stuff. I'm like, Dude, they know you shot a 98, right? Like you have the finger strength and speed to do it. But it's like, I, I, I got it. And even when they shot it, they were like, yeah, this is actually really, really nice. I, I had X, X factor guys shoot it. My guy shot it and they were like, yeah, this is actually really cool. And it was just, it's, it's, it's fun one on top of it. But then two, you have a nice grip on the marker, on the frame, and it just, it fucking shoots like anything else that has a ramping board in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's it's inherently more fun when it's a single trigger because there's like that th thought in your head where like, it's not supposed to be like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but like I said before too, if we were shooting semi-auto, it would be a completely different story and there's no way that I would be shooting a single trigger. But... We're I not. Don't know. You probably still would. Dude, I like to walk the trigger too much in semi-auto. There's no way. Yeah. No way. Yeah, but you also like to shoot like three balls in a game to get two eliminations. That's good odds. Yeah. <laughs> that's only you only need to be sixty-six percent. That's that's easy. Yeah. Yeah. How about we do pods to kill ratio? How about where's that stat? Mine like, is probably like pods to kills like six hundred to one. <laughs> I'm a paint guy. I dump the paint. You like to just see. To me, I still have that mindset for some reason. Whenever I shoot a paintball and it doesn't break on something and it just goes to nowhere, it's I'm just I'm shooting money out the end of my barrel. Yeah. No, I feel you. I mean, because what you grew up, you grew up with that of the you know, hoping you working at the field or whatever to get 500 balls. So yeah, you gotta treasure them. What do you? What are you gonna? What can I say? I'm a I'm a frugal paintball player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we kind of ran it through everything that I wrote down um, and that I had thoughts on. I don't know if you had any kind of insight or any kind of uh, heard anything happening or if you have anything on your mind that you want to kind of uh, give the world. I mean, not particularly. I mean, I feel like when we talk, we kind of just jump into anything and everything when we kind of move around. Um, Obviously, you know, there's probably going to be a wild off season when you have a strong ownership franchise exit the fold. Yeah, because, I mean, especially two for them. I mean, you have, like, a guy like Zach Hill who now there's uncertainty with what he's going to do, um, mm -hmm. you know, because he had a great season. And I heard there's, like, rumors like he might not be playing anymore and he might just retire or, you know. He's definitely going to get signed somewhere if he plays because he's a talented guy. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, you have, like, Dylan Boyum, who throughout the course of his season, like, really kind of built a name up as a player. Like, he's absolutely going to be somewhere in the pro division. And, like, when I look at a guy like him right away, I mean, there's, like, two or three teams that come to mind. Like, I look right away like, okay, SD Aftermath, if they can relatively retain the roster they have now, minus, you know, obviously Thomas Kim's leaving. Mm -hmm. 
you add a guy like Boyum in the center, like that's the one thing they're missing is like generating like legitimate center offense, not just hey, send a guy to like the 30 can and you know, zone wide. Like they Dylan's a guy that could go there and just like punch down the field and make shit happen. Do you think Barrett stays? Um, I don't know, man. Joe Joe's a dedicated guy, but um, you know, obviously there's a little uncertainty with aftermath right now. Um, you know, Hinman was running the show, then he stepped away for cup. Now it's, you know, who knows what the next step is from here. They had a couple coaching switches throughout the last year. Um, I hope he does because I really think, um, you know, aftermath's been good. I think Frank naturally is not going to be there. And most of that's because I think he's going to go back to Revo now that Tom Four is kind of in the fold and helping build that roster. Because, uh, you know, Frank's an East Coast guy. He's been on Revo before. Like, that was the plan this year until it changed. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I could see that roster also imploding and then just starting with another fresh crop of young guys and Revo or aftermath aftermath. Mm. And then just Hinman doing Hinman stuff and developing superstars out of nobodies. And, you know, they're back on top again before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. Aftermath is always an interesting, interesting story. Um, especially at the end of every season, (laughs) you know, you kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of teams, um, there's a lot of certainty in a lot of programs and aftermath. I feel like every year I'm like, I don't know what the hell, you know, we're getting good. Cause we had like the John Iannucci season or two that made it chaotic and then Hinman got it back and then, you know, all over the place, but they'll make it exciting regardless. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, and you know, thunder is really coming to their own. I feel, uh, I think that's going to be another one. We're going to see like a lot of shit happening because, you know, that team got bought, um, by the Brooklyn Bears, they merged together. They kept some of the Thunder guys, brought in some of their guys, and now we're going to see like, okay, what's going to be their plan with a full, fresh off season? Like, are they going to just say, we want to completely go towards our Brooklyn Bear kind of guys? Are they going to, you know, keep the Thunder guys mixed in? Like, how's it going to work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of teams that were, <clears throat> you know, up and down, and uh, even making Sundays. I remember Maddie saying that. You know, this this season, all 20 teams at one point in time made Sunday. Yeah, that, that's like wild um, considering, I mean, like a year ago, there were these constant talks of parity in the NXL and, you know, the teams that are spending money are just too good now and no one can compete to now all of a sudden like a stat like that where, I mean, really every team looked pretty good this year. I mean, even teams, you know, uprising in MLK, didn't look great last year. They looked really good this year in multiple mm-hmm. events. Yeah, and you know they're, they're not spending money to do it. They're the in-house guys still. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cool to see those teams, you know, hold their own and um, really perform as they should with the uh, the amount of talent that they have. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm really, like like you said, I'm interested to see exactly how the off is going to go and and where the moves are going to start and where they're going to, what player is going to go where. And it's always, what if nothing happened at all? It'd be like wild. (laughs) Maybe nothing will. Maybe everyone will just keep the same, same old shit and move on. But I mean, I think too, uh, the pro team coming up (laughs) with the, uh, I don't know, maybe Tom (laughs) Ford will sign him. He did it once before with Arsenal. Maybe he'll do it again. There you go. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's interesting. Like Notorious, who's the team that's moving up from semi-pro, 
They're interesting to me um, just for the fact that a lot of semi-pro teams that move up just they use the same exact roster they won their spot with and roll through the year, kind of like what Hurricanes did this this season. Mm-hmm. But like Notorious has uh, ownership that seems like they're kind of okay spending money. I mean, being that they brought in a couple kind of pro or ex-pros this season to play with them. They were spending money playing over in Europe. They're going to play pro over in Europe this year as well. Like, it seems like they have a got an ownership that's okay with spending money. So it makes me think like, you know, new protein code of the fold, maybe they'll start throwing money around and, yeah. you know, quickly build their roster up. And I don't know. I think um, there's long lasting impacts from last off season. And it's going to make this year interesting because I think values are kind of still weird right now with players. There's guys that are, you know, overinflated. There's guys that, you know, should be getting paid that aren't. I mean, you have a guy like, I mean, I, I always look at like someone like Chris Shearer on Revo, like he's kind of just there right now for the ride. And I'm thinking like, this is the kind of dude that should be getting like paid a lot somewhere, whether it's with Revo or elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I guess we're just going to see what owners decide to pull the trigger on that. And you, you, you have to think Travis is going to be making moves. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, he can't be happy with that last place. I think what this is Thomas's last year. So they'd have to fill his void naturally anyway so yeah um i don't know i think this the last year was pretty fucking crazy i my gut tells me this year is going to just be wild because there's just a lot of moving pieces in pro especially with everything that dynasty did i mean even dynasty is interesting to me because i mean you have now 12 guys on that world cup roster that start anywhere in the league Mm -hmm. and some of them didn't really play much this year like do they still hang around do they are they? Do they get promised more playing time? Do they just decide it's not worth it and they go somewhere else? Does someone buy them away? Like you know, I mean, does does someone see Mike, like someone like Mike Arena and go, you know, this guy's fucking talented. We can build a roster around this guy. Let's just pay him. Yeah. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of intrigue that could be coming up. There is. I'll be phoning you on all that and looking uh, for your iconic posts and everything to keep up. Brandon, you you too. Where are you going? What are you doing? Uh, it's a mystery. Who knows? I'm gonna see you in like an Iron Man jersey before you retire. That'd be what? Sick. It'd just be sick. You in the an Iron Man jersey. You my my dream has been Iron Man or Dynasty for you. Just like one season of Dynasty would be sick. You'd fit right in. Bunch of old salty vets. <laughs> I am pretty salty. Um, speaking of jerseys though, those uh, I think the level jerseys were pretty cool at the at Cup. The gold yeah, I texted one. you after I saw the first match, and I said, "Don't sell your cup jersey." <laughs> I wanted to make sure I said it because, like, I gotta get that thing because it's sick. Yeah, the, I didn't get to wear the white one, but I got to wear the gold one. I thought they uh, they turned out pretty good, but but yeah, I don't know. I mean, a really I... drastic change they did. Like, so many teams just do the same fucking jersey every single event, basically. Yeah, yeah, those ones. I at first that was a little put off by them, but then I put it on, and I was like, okay. All right, this was good, good with the beanie, you know. Yeah, true. It, that you know that was one of the tough, the tougher things like coming in and playing again was like, what, what's the head game gonna be? What's the the whole kind of like, you know, not only do I have to do head game, but maybe gloves, maybe this, maybe you 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 have to find a style again. You know, that's half the battle. That's half the battle. But and it's funny because like. Uh... Especially like you coming back from retirement, that's like fashion is pretty brutal and painful at times and people really rag on guys if they don't look decent. So there's a lot of pressure on a guy like you, you know, because you're 
naturally, you know, a Midwest guy, they look at you, this guy doesn't have style, right? So you got to come in and, you know, be a heavy hitter right away. I think got I the pretty... pack bands on, the beanie rocking, matching <laughs> gloves. It looked good. I, I feel like I, this has been my better looking season. <laughs> but but I, I don't know. With, with Level, I mean, we there's so much potential on that team. And, um, you know, we'll see what uh, what we can come up with and everything. And, and I'm sure, you know, hopefully all the guys stick around and really kind of figure it out. But um but you never know. I mean, you never know in the off season on what's going to happen. You don't know who's going where, what's going to happen because the, what you've been told could go right out the window. You know, the next oh, day. It happens all the time. Like I'll have I'll have stories in the off season. I'm churning away on, ready to post them, and then I get a message like, "Hey, never mind. I decided I'm staying, and I'm turning down like the twenty five thousand dollars I got offered." Yeah. So there's always wrenches that kind of get thrown into all of it. Um, and I mean, there's like PayPal's really weird. Um, because like, you know, every other kind of professional sport has this very vibrant kind of journalism side where there's everyone has some journalist they talk to in some capacity and leak things out. But PayPal is like really secretive still. Like guys don't like talking about what they're doing because they don't like to close the door on their current team. They don't want them mm -hmm. to know, hey, I'm talking to six other guys right now trying to get a deal because because nobody has agents. Everybody is their own agent. Well, yeah, and it's really hard to get paid. So it's like mm -hmm. if you're if you're already getting paid some, you don't want to risk some for the chance at more because your team finds out you were looking for more and they just say, ah. Then they get none gonna... or yeah, you cut. cut you. Yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting. So I think uh, we're kind of also seeing more kind of journalism and news emerge here too a lot, with a lot of people kind of dipping their hat in. So maybe that will kind of start leading to more – you know, in-depth looks behind the, the moving parts of pro offseason. Yeah. Craziness. Um, all right, man. Well, I don't want to keep you up too much longer. Plus, I got I got some some labels and stuff I got to print out. We got some more tank tools going out. Yeah, man. Make sure uh, everyone who's listed, like, definitely go check it out because it's going to cost you less than a case of paint. And it's going to save your ass a bunch. Like, we're spending all this money now on regulators and guns. There's no reason to blow a seal in your gun trying to drain the air through it or smash your $200 powerhouse rig against the table. Yeah, and we'll be we'll be coming out with it. I mean, for us, it's like a no-brainer how to use it. But we'll be coming out with, like, a little how-to video here soon uh, just to kind of clarify some things up. And, and yeah, what like I said before, we'll have, we'll have more colors in the future. We're going to have a... Um, kind of a my cat did you hear my cat in the I thought that was like a child <laughs> screaming yeah, in the distance <laughs> but uh, we're gonna have um, uh, like a custom uh, custom pro program where you're gonna be able to get your uh, get it anodized a certain way but then also get your name or a logo or something like that laser engraved on it so we have a bunch of things in the works and um, it's, it's really exciting for uh, for HDK yeah, for sure, man. I'm excited about it. Sweet beans. I will talk to you soon, good sir. Thank you so much for coming on and staying up late um, and chit-chatting about just, you know, random bullshit with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's fun. I always love talking people. So Absolutely. Fun. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, man. Sounds good. See ya. See ya. Thank you, everybody, again so much for listening. Uh, I am going to try and get back on a regular schedule of getting you guys podcasts. And uh, I say guys all the time, but I mean guys and girls. I mean everybody. 
everybody. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. And like I said, we, I'm going to try and get back on a regular schedule, getting you guys podcasts, getting you guys content out. I will do my best. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, this this whole World Cup thing and just getting back on the field and and uh, and playing against you know some of the best and um, has been great. And it's really reignited something in, inside of me to to make more content, to to grind more harder to uh to really focus on you know h2k and future projects so i'm really excited and thank you all for joining me on the uh, on the journey but uh yeah so make sure you keep your eyes on the road do not text and drive listen to podcasts like this one and we'll see you again here soon on the playing on podcast peace